gentlemen, welcome to the Aaron's High Cap Adventure Radio Program. I am Matt, your host. I'm excited to be here like I always am. Ladies and gentlemen, we got so much going on on this show. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I believe many of our youth in this country have no clue what that flag represents and the price it cost us to be able to live under it. Real freedom is not free. There is a very heavy cost for freedom. Freedom is constantly threatened from those who wish to put us into submission for their own sordid gain. Look up the word sordid. Who are the they that I'm talking about? I'll just say it like this. The enemies to our freedom are both foreign and domestic. So let us all rekindle our patriotism, our love of country, and respect for that flag and all that it represents. And let's make America great again. So that was the poem I wrote. I hope it affected you like it affected me when I wrote it. And I wrote it for my kids so that they would have something to start with. And I think we've done a good job. Let's go into our show highlights, tell you what's going on today. Today's CHL segment, or we're going to start calling it uh, License to Carry segment, will be a little bit different. I'm not really going to be talking to you about License to Carry and signage, but the mindset of people who put up the signage of Penal Code 30-06 and 30-07. Again, I will read from the NRA's American Rifleman column the American Citizen. I'm sorry, the Armed Citizen. And see what we glean from those stories. Ladies and gentlemen, you know what's funny? I carry a gun and I shoot a gun and I'm extremely good at shooting a gun. I wear glasses and I can barely read my notes. <laughs> kind of makes you wonder. Okay, whatever. Okay, now we're going to read three stories and we're going to glean the best we can from those. Now my pep section today is on preparedness. Or it could be on practice eliminates panic when it comes to duct tape. Duct tape is going to be a pretty cool thing to talk about. That'll be in our pep section. Today's topic of interest section is one that intrigues me while bothering me at the same time. Some, uh, some may call it conspiracy, and maybe rightly so. Others may think I just may have uh, my head in the clouds, and hopefully from that little tidbit there you'll figure out what I'm about to talk about. My special guest today will be Judge Andy Isaacs, co-founder of Morningstar Ranch out of Milano, Texas. I'll talk uh, to him about being prepared. You know, I talk about being prepared all the time, but I want to talk to Judge Isaac's ministries and him and his ministries and how they help the youth get prepared for life. And if time permits, I will do another WTF moment. What the heck is going on moment that always proves to be interesting. With all that, let's uh, just move on to license to carry here. We got a lot going on, so we're going to just move straight into license to carry. Now, ladies and gentlemen, today's license to carry segment will not cover laws or communication or safe handling of firearms or where and how to carry a weapon on your person. No, this segment today is going to cover signage. And not signage like we have in the past, most recently as last week, but the mindset of the people who feel it necessary to restrict your rights to protect yourself due to their nativity, ignorance, and foolishness. With all the documented events of terrorism and mass shootings, some people still think that putting a gun-restrictive sign in their storefront windows is going to stop the nutcase that wants to cause you harm and go down in a blaze of glory. To those people, I've got to ask, 
and I ask this with sincerity, and I don't mean to be rude, but are you stupid? Do you just not get it? Are you so scared of your shadow that you think putting up a sign is going to save you from a nutcase trying to kill y'all? Now, I look and listen to some of their reasons and stand there bewildered. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have never been assaulted, had your home or business broken into, had guns pointed at you while you stand defenseless because someone or some entity restricted you from having one, you're in for a big freaking surprise. There is no worse feeling than feeling like you're helpless. And don't even tell me, well, God will protect me. Give me a break. The good Lord will protect you by blessing you with some common sense. And common sense says, prepare. Be ready in any and all situations as much as it is possible to do so. God and common sense go hand in hand. And there's that story about the guy who falls off the boat and prays to God for help. Let me tell you about that when you probably heard about it. Let's just say it's a cruise liner going in the middle of the ocean. And the guy is looking over the edge and he falls off and falls into the water and the cruise boat just keeps going. And the guy's in the water and he says, oh my gosh, I'm going to drown. Lord, Lord, help me. Help me, Lord. I have faith that you will take care of me. All of a sudden, a boat appears and comes by him and throws out their hand or their buoy or their life jacket or whatever. He says, no, 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 no. The good Lord is going to save me. And the guys go, oh, whatever. Okay, so they just keep going on and there's the guy still in the water. Next boat comes. And they're saying, hey, man, here, here you go. Here's the life buoy. We'll save you. Come on. He goes, no, 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 no. The good Lord is going to save me. And they look at him funny and they go, whatever. And they move on. Third boat comes, does the same thing. Guess what? Guy drowns. Goes to heaven because of his faith. And he gets up there in the pearly gates. He goes, Lord, I prayed and prayed and prayed for you to save me. Why didn't you save me? And the good Lord goes, I sent you three boats. <laughs> Common sense, people. Common sense. All right. I'm going to read to you a few words and give you their definitions. Now, you should know by now that I'm keen on definitions. And the three words we're going to go over are naive, ignorant, and foolish. So I'm going to pull out my little notes here, and I'm going to read to you the definitions and what they mean. And the first one we're going to go over is naive. It's an adjective of a person or action. Here it goes. Showing a lack of experience, wisdom, or judgment. That's the definition for the word naive. All right, number two. I'm going to go to ignorant. Once again, that's an adjective. Lacking knowledge or awareness in general. Uneducated or unsophisticated. Number three. Foolish. Again, an adjective. Of a person or action, definition reads, lacking good sense or judgment, unwise. So ladies and gentlemen, it is my belief that persons or entities fall into three words. And those three words are naive, ignorant, or foolish. Now I want to read to you a list of ten mass shootings where people... Law-abiding people, that is, were restricted from having a handgun with them due to the naivety, ignorance, 
or foolishness of some said persons or entities. So I'm going to read to you now 10 things. I'm sure some of you would be aware of what they are. But here we go. Mass shootings. Number one. The community center in San Bernardino, California. 14 people killed. Number two. Mpokwa, I believe is how you pronounce it. Community College, 10 people killed. Number three, Chattanooga Military Recruitment Office. Remember that one? Five people killed. Number four, and I believe in that military recruitment center, one guy had a gun, and they're trying to screw him because he had a gun to defend himself, but we'll talk about that later. Number four, Charleston Church shooting, nine people killed. Number five, Marysville, Pilchuck High School, I believe is how you pronounce it. Four people killed. Number six, Washington Navy Yard shooting. I watched the video on that one. Twelve people killed. Number seven, Santa Monica College. Five people killed. Number eight, Sandy Hook Elementary. Twenty-six people were killed. That's not including all the injuries. This is just people dead. Number nine, Aurora Theater shooting. Twelve people killed. And then, of course, close to home, Fort Hood, number 10, 13 people killed. In all these attacks, one good person with a gun could have stopped the slaughter. But once again, these places are controlled by naive, ignorant, or foolish people. All right, so why am I ragging on these people or entities? Because I'm hoping you, the listener, gets just as fired up as me, tells all your friends and family, so that we can all be heard in one voice to maybe persuade, convince, or pressure people into not restricting our rights to defend ourselves. And the number one way to do it is, and if you talk to the wealth coaches here, they'll probably back me up, Go to a competitive business that allows you to carry and give them your business. Your dollar as a, is, use your dollar as a persuasive tool against the ignorant. All right? So now you know how I feel. Remember, everyone, we're the good guys and gals with the guns. Just remember that. All right. Let's move into our next section. We're done with the license to carry. Remember, we're going from concealed carry license to license to carry. So it's going to be from CHL progressively going to license to carry. By the time the end of the month is here, I should be able to say license to carry without thinking about saying CHL. Now, in this section, I'm going to read to you three stories from the NRA's Armed Citizens page of the American Rifleman. And hopefully from these true stories, we can learn what to do and what not to do and maybe even get a laugh or two in the process. It depends on the stories. Now, if you're not a member of the NRA, you might consider becoming one. The more gun supporters they have, the more muscle they have to stop bad legislation. I researched these stories here, and I got them out of the rifleman. And this one, all three of these are coming come from February 2002. All right, ladies and gentlemen, start with number one here. A West Side Chicago resident shot and killed an intruder in his home. When the man stormed, when a man stormed into the bedroom and demanded to see a part of his wife's anatomy. You heard me right. 
Curtis Reed kicked open the basement door of the apartment building and ran up the back stair directly into the couple's bedroom. He said to the woman, show me your, and you can fill in the blank, okay? And at that point, the husband fired, <laughs> the husband fired, said Area 4 violent crimes detective Mike Miller. Reed did not appear to have stolen anything from the home, Miller reported. Well, here's my commentary on that one. Number one, like I said about one of the stories I read last week, that must be one fine woman or one desperate male individual. Number two, now, do we really even have to comment on this story here? I'm going to anyway, but here, here it is. Man breaks into the home, assaults the wife, husband shoots the intruder, case closed, end of story. That simple, right? That easy. <laughs> Don't be doing that stuff in my house. You will not like the results. All right. Number story number two. An Elmsmere, Kentucky man was shot and killed by a clerk after he tried to rob a convenient or a Covington, Kentucky convenience store. The crook, Ferry Finkleton, not lying, Ferry Finkleton, or Pinkerton, I'm sorry, Pinkleton had brandished a handgun and demanded money from the store clerk, reported the Covington Police Captain Charles Gurren. When another store employee armed with a handgun confronted him, the robber fired his gun three times but missed. The armed employee returned fire, shooting the robber several times. A neighbor later reported that two weeks ago, someone put a gun in the owner's face and robbed him. So here's my commentary. Ladies and gentlemen, guess who is not foolish, ignorant, or naive? That's right, the store owner. He didn't tell his employees that they couldn't pack heat and defend themselves when necessary. I guarantee you that if a gun-restricted sign was up, the bad guy would not have obeyed the sign, and the employees would have been defenseless. I want my life to be in my hands not in the hands of a naive store owner who posts worthless signs. That's I'm just saying. All right, number three. Once again, February 2002. This one is interesting. Check this out. When Virginia Delaney returned home from shopping, she noticed some things out of place. A bedroom fan was turned around, and her VCR was neatly or nearly pulled out of the entertainment center. Delaney then picked up her shotgun and searched the house. Upon discovering an interloper in the laundry room, she escorted him to her bedroom and made him empty his pockets. The would-be burglar complied, handing over a cell phone, a pack of cigarettes, and four pennies. Delaney allowed the intruder to leave, and he walked across the street to his house. <laughs> Delaney then phoned the police and reported her neighbor, whom police later arrested. <laughs> All right, here's my commentary. Number one, Delaney was aware of her surroundings. She knew something wasn't right. Number two, Delaney quickly arms herself and proceeds to clear her house. Number three, Delaney remained calm, cool, and collected and ordered the intruder to leave the house. Number four, Delaney, and this is my opinion here, sat in her easy chair and laughed 
as she watched the police arrest her stupid neighbor. <laughs> Thankfully, because of Delaney, there is one less dangerous idiot living next to you. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Three stories from the armed citizens out of the American Rifleman. If you're not a member of the NRA, you might consider becoming one. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're running a little bit long. We're going to take a break, Paul. Take a minute break here. When we come back on the other side, uh, we're going to go over our pep section. And uh, I think you're going to enjoy it. It'll be a lot of fun. So we'll be back in just about a minute. Uh, I want to talk to you about uh, late, our s- supporting the radio program here. And it's greatly appreciated. And there's many ways to support this show, everyone. A monetary donation is always welcome. Becoming a sponsor is another great way. We reach out to a lot of people. Liking us on Facebook. So if you've got the ability right now, go ahead and like us on Facebook. Spread the word about the show. Showing up to our events always gives us moral support. And calling into the show adds your input and opens topics up that may not have been discussed before. So, and once again, if, I didn't even mention it. To, to make contact with the show today, you can dial 254-773-1400. That's right here in the studio. It's 254-773-1400. So if you like the show and you'd like to con- you know, see it continue and grow, your support is greatly appreciated. The Aaron's High Cap Adventure Show is not just another talking head type of show. This show gives that information that can, you can apply immediately for your self-well-being. So go to aaronsgunshop.com and check out our entire site. Look at the pictures, read the testimonials, listen to the past shows via our podcast, and together we can make a difference. And if you have any positive suggestions, please let us know. With your help, we can you know, complete this show by growing into a two, two full hours, which would be great. Once again, though, if you want to make contact with the show, it's 254-773-1400. Contact us at email at aaronsgunshop at gmail.com or go directly to the website at aaronsgunshop.com. All right, let's go into our pep section here. Preparation eliminates panic. It's either practice eliminates panic or preparation eliminates panic. Today it's preparation. It could be both, I guess. We're going to be talking about duct tape. Now, ladies and gentlemen, my history with duct tape goes back a long ways with me. As young as I can remember, my dad was using duct tape. And I'm 50, almost 53 years old. One of his favorite uses for duct tape was to cover the idiot light on the dashboard of his car so he wouldn't have to look at it. You know those idiot lights that come on and just like, why is this on? Why won't it go off? I can't get it. I can't get this light to go off. So he just put some duct tape over it. Fantastic concept idea. Well, over the years, people have come up with many more ways to use duct tape. And today I'm going to read to you a long list or a partial long list of things you can do with the Miracle Product duct tape. And I'm going to be reading from an article from the happypreppers.com. And there are their ideas that I didn't even think of. So this is going to be a learning experience for both of us here. So I got a nice, I got a bunch of pages here. I'm just going to read to you what we got from the happypreppers.com. It'll give you some information, some uh, background information too. Duct tape survival. Favorite and fabulous ways to use duct tape for survival. Preppers have a penchant for creating problem solving. And duct tape is a favorite survival tool to get out of a sticky situation. Armed with duct tape, WD-40, and super glue, a prepper can fix anything and survive to tell about it. Unleash your inner MacGyver and get started thinking about duct tape survival. Below are ways preppers use duct tape. How to use duct tape for survival. Here are fabulous ways duct tape could be used to save your life. Number one, and they're not going to basically be in order here, but seal ammo boxes. Did you know that duct tape was originally developed during World War II to help seal ammo boxes? 
preppers today concerned about long-term storage may vacuum seal ammunition along with silica packages, but duct tape still works well to seal the outside of the ammo boxes. The gaskets can lose its seal, and by using duct tape, you can secure the contents from moisture. This is interesting. Who invented duct tape? The idea for duct tape came out of a request of the U.S. Army military to create a cloth-based, water-resistant tape. Ammunition boxes at the time were taped, then waxed to make them waterproof and prevent moisture. A division of Johnson & Johnson developed the special adhesive tape, which is made from a rubber-based adhesive and applied to a durable duct cloth backing. And here's something fun. The inventor of duct tape was a woman. Okay, it's a woman. A woman, you got it. The woman got it. How about fixing leaks? Technically speaking, duct tape is not waterproof. However, it is water resistant. Duct tape will seal just about anything for this, and for this reason can help you patch stuff that might leak. Repair tents and tarps with duct tape to keep out water and wind. A small tear in your tank can become a bigger problem if you don't tend to it right away. Or how about fixing a water bladder or a, a bottle that's leaking? Water is life, and in survival situation, you can't underscore the importance. If the bladder of your water pouch bursts, duct tape would save the day. If you lose the lid, you can seal your water with a makeshift cap from duct tape. Also, we have uh, reinforcement where it's needed. You can keep the floodwaters out by putting duct tape on the inside and the outside of your garage door at the base there. That'll help deflect the water. Storm windows. Um, with duct tape, you can seal the outside of storm windows during the winter as an added measure. Or how about avoid carpet trips and falls? Secure duct tape to, the, uh, to keep carpets and pads from shifting to help avoid slips, trips, and falls. Here's, oh, this one's pretty neat. Devise solutions for broken firearms and equipment. Improvise a rifle sling. Who would think about doing that with duct tape? Duct tape rolled lengthwise becomes instant cordage. If you have a broken strap, you can repair it instantly in the field if you got duct tape. Or devise a makeshift coupler for your magazines. By use of a coupler, you can attach two magazines together for a more efficient speed. If you don't have one, you can make one with duct tape. Even if you do have a coupler, you may like to use duct tape to ensure they don't come apart. This gives you an added measure of security. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm I'm getting old. I'm almost 53. I was in the military over 30-something years ago. And I was doing some high-speed stuff there, and I was doing couplers with duct tape a long time ago, so it definitely works. Hide your magazines. Secure magazines where others might not expect to find them under desks, for example, with duct tape. Only caution on that is, let's just use an AR magazine, for example. Obviously, don't use duct tape on the upper portion where it goes into the gun. Otherwise, the gummy stuff may start screwing up your gun. Put it down towards the end where it does not interfere with the gun itself. Let's move into improvised first aid needs. Bandage wounds with duct tape. Yes, duct tape might hurt a little with hairy arms or legs, but it sure beats bleeding to death if you don't have bandages around. And the dressing, gauze or cotton, and ta-da, you got a bandage. How about butterfly bandage from duct tape? Two strips and one across to connect the two, you got yourself a butterfly bandage. Improvised moleskin. The clever prepper can prevent calluses and blistering of hands and heels with duct tape by placing duct tape at the point of friction. The duct tape acts like an extra layer of skin to prevent rubbing. And in the old days, we would wear pantyhose. 
And the pantyhose would serve as the same thing. Yeah, you can look at me funny, but I guarantee you, we walk 30 miles together and I got pantyhose on and you don't, you're going to stop sooner than me. Pull off ticks and chiggers. Short on tweezers in your first aid kit. If you've got duct tape, you've got the means by which to pull out ticks and chiggers with a quick pat and a yank on the duct tape. Very efficient. Make a splint or a sling. In a survival situation, you might craft a sling or a splint with the help of duct tape. For a finger splint, and we've done this in football all the time, you can use the adjoining finger to immobilize the injured one. With duct tape, you can wrap the sprained or broken angle, and so you can get to your next destination. Removing splinters. There is more than one way to remove a splinter, and sticky tape is one of them. Basically, you put it on the the splinter again, tap it down, and just yank it out. I like this one. We We talked about this on the show a few weeks ago about building fires. Build a fire with duct tape. The fibers of duct tape can work to accelerate your fire starter. A piece of duct tape can provide about two minutes of burn time. Or you can make fire with duct tape and char cloth. Make a fire starter with duct tape and char cloth, and this way the fire starter will last about seven minutes. Repair outdoor equipment. Duct tape can help you make repairs on just about anything. Tent repair. Rips are not only a major inconvenience... They could threaten your well-being in severe weather. It's comforting to know that duct tape can keep the weather out, the weather and the cold out. Duct tape will also help you connect broken tent poles. Canoe repair. You never know. As mentioned above, duct tape fixes leaks. So suppose your only canoe has sprung a leak and you need to get down to the river. Duct tape will get you to your destination. With enough duct tape, you can craft a paddle with a forked branch in a bag and duct tape. Bike repair. Duct tape can work like a patch to repair an inner tube if you you ever found yourself with a flat or without any patch. Duct tape is also handy at the cuffs of the pants to keep them from rubbing against the chain in transit. And we used to do that all the time with rubber bands and things. Craft emergency cordage. If you don't have paracord, which you should, by the way, you can make cordage from duct tape by rolling long strips lengthwise, folding in half, or taping two sections together. From the cordage, you can twine it into heavier rope by braiding three pieces of your duct tape together. Previously mentioned, you can make a sling for your rifle from this cordage, and you can sling other gear as well. Sling gear to your backpack. Clips may break, gear may become loose, and you'll have an instant and stealth solution for your bug out as long as it includes duct tape. Hang clothes out to dry. If your clothes get soaked while camping by the river or lake, you can create just enough cordage to line hang your clothes. Improvise shoelaces, a belt, or a dog leash. This is good. Improvise tools for defense or hunting. Every prepper knows that a bullet, the bullets will someday run out and that they must rely on other weapons. It's pretty easy to construct a duct tape weapon. Duct tape weapons might save your life or help you hunt. Or make a duct tape spear for defense or hunting. Affix duct tape to a knife and a broomstick and you have a defensible threatening spear between you and the attacker. You can even roll up a magazine and duct tape a pair of scissors to create some extra space between you and the attacker. Now that's duct tape survival. And duct tape spear could help you get dinner as well. So that's two ways duct tape can spear your life. (laughs) Bad? Okay, that's bad. 
help dress a duck, pluck feathers of a duck with duct tape. Now that's the true use of duct tape. Make uh, make a sheath for your knife. As a sheath, duct tape will spare you from undue injury. If possible, start with some cardboard and wrap the cardboard around the knife, followed by the duct tape. Snare an animal. Make an animal snare with duct tape cordage in a survival situation, and soon you'll have some protein for dinner. Cuff a pant leg. This is important. Hunters can also cuff pant legs with duct tape to protect them from the elements, either to keep out ticks or chiggers or to prevent the cool air from rising in the pants and stealing body warmth. In the military, you always put your pants in your boots to keep out all the stuff from going in your pants. Craft useful survival tools. Fabricate snowshoes. Here is a tutorial. You can go to the website, Happy Preppers, and they got a tutorial on how to make uh, snowshoes. Make a bucket, bowl, or cup from duct tape. This can be important. Water collection is essential. And if you have no bucket, you can make one with duct tape. A bucket is useful to collect berries, field greens, or small game. How about devise handcuffs or silence someone? The day may come in survival when you need to retain an intruder or restricted defector in your group. Duct tape handcuffs might be one you might want to think about. Get handy with duct tape and craft a survival handcuff. If someone is acting up, don't just think duct tape in the terms of handcuffs. You may want to strap them to something. Outdoors, you can strap an individual to a tree or a pole. Indoors, you can uh, trap them, uh, taped into a chair. Duct tape can also keep the bad guys quiet. You always see them putting duct tape over your mouth. So there's lots of ways you can do that. All right, now, let me see here. I want to go move on here. Waterproof shoes I thought was a pretty good one. Endure extreme weather conditions with duct tape on your shoes. In a bug-out scenario, you can use duct tape to help make shoes water-resistant in rain or snow. This barrier will keep moisture from getting at your feet and wearing you down. It will also add insulation to help you endure the snow or cold weather extremes. Ladies and gentlemen, it goes on and on and on and on. Go to happypreppers.com and check this out. But there's so many other things you could do. I'm just trying to look through here before I stop this segment as to any other ones that I wanted to mention. This one was pretty cool. Avoid snow blindness. The blinding glare of snow can damage your eyes and leave you not only lost in the wilderness, but permanently scarred unless you employ use of adequate eye protection. If you didn't pack any sunglasses, you can improvise by creating a superhero mask over your eyes by taping two pieces of duct tape together and cutting horizontal slits in the duct tape about an inch long, enabling you to see enough light that comes through the slots. So that's a good thing to do. We also have here uh, keeping small survival tools together. I like this one. I kind of do this myself. Fish hooks, tiny replacement batteries, needles, and screws might get lost if otherwise secured to... um, the sticky back of your duct tape. So in other words, you get your duct tape, apply them to the sticky part, and it's all on one piece of tape there. So who needs a a little box or something else to carry it when you can just wrap it up in duct tape? Uh, I want to read this one too. Making a candle or a small torch. Weird and wonderful, you can improvise a candle from duct tape if you need it. As an aforementioned, duct tape will ignite. So if you roll it into a makeshift candle around a stick, you'll have a torch of sorts. All right, so ladies and gentlemen, what we got, we've got all these different ways you can use duct tape. It's in the pep section of my show here because sometimes you need to be prepared. It's always good to have duct tape in, in a few different places, like your bug out bag, in your home, in your car. Um, 
your workplace, wherever you think about it, because duct tape can fix a lot of things. I think that they always said duct tape, bailing wire, and a flathead screwdriver can get you just about at any time, kind of problem. So make sure you have duct tape with you at all times. All right, what we're going to do is we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back after the break, and we're going to go into our topic of interest section. I think you're going to like this. I'm interested in this topic. I hope you'll be, and I hope I'll... I'll talk to you enough and prove to you enough that there is a reason why we should be interested in it. So we'll be back in about another minute after the break. I want to ask if you're looking for advanced or specialized training when it comes to the use of a firearm. If so, you need to go to aaronsgunshop.com, the High Cap Adventure page. And on that page is where we have listed our special training seminars. Those seminars include home and self-defense training seminar, which actually, ladies and gentlemen, we have a class on the 13th of February. I've got four spots available. They're going to go fast. Um, if you're interested, you can email us. Go to aaronsgunshop.com. Go to the High Cap Adventure page, and you'll see the the flyer there for the co-ed home and self-defense class. If you're interested, i got four slots left. Then we have the Ladies Only Home and Self-Defense Training Seminar. We've got a Combat Shotgun Seminar, M4 Close Quarters Combat Training Seminar, and a Semi-Auto Rifle Training Seminar. And the difference between those two is one's exclusive to the M4 Rifle or the M16 or AR platform. The other semi-auto rifle is basically AKs, SKSs, Mini-14s, whatever you have in a semi-automatic form. And our PEP program seminar. So go to the High Cap Adventures page and read what each seminar offers. These seminars are geared for the homeowner or regular Joe and Jane on the street. These seminars are not designed for the combat operator or spec operators. God bless you all, but you know you guys do some high-speed, low-drag kind of stuff. So if you wish to... Sharpen your skills. Give us a call. Groups of five or more can arrange for private classes. The Aaron's Gun Shop High Cap Adventure page. So sign up now. Go to aaronsgunshop.com and go to the High Cap Adventures page. If you want to make contact with us here at the studio, the number is 254-773-1400. Or contact us via email at aaronsgunshop at gmail.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I want to talk to you about a topic of interest. And the reason it's a topic of interest is because it interests me. Hopefully it will interest you. And it's contrails versus chemtrails. Contrails versus chemtrails. Now, my dad served honorably in World War II, and because of that, I've always had a fascination with that war. In all aspects, as I can see, America, the United States, showed the world its greatness. My dad flew in the Army Air Corps, so naturally, World War II aircraft has always intrigued me. One of the aircraft that I favored the most was the B-17 bomber. I would read books on it, look at pictures, and talk with pilots and crew. When I was doing, when I'm teaching my CHL class, I would actually get uh, B-17 pilots and crew members and P-38 Lightning pilots. It's just fascinating and wild to listen to their stories. These guys are like 20 years old, and they're flying these huge pieces of equipment, life or death scenarios. It's incredible. Truly amazing aircraft, and the brave men who flew them and in them. Well, one of the pictures that sticks in my mind is one of a bombing mission where the B-17s were so high up that the exhaust from their engines would crystallize and cause contrails. I remember this because I would always think, man, the enemy will see you for sure from the ground. The contrails are like flags saying, hey guys, this is where we're at, come shoot us. All right, so think, get that image in your head. Now, another story before I go further. And I'm telling you these for a reason before we get more into this topic of interest. In 1983, when I first joined the military, 
I took a trip to a buddy of mine's house in North Carolina. And while we were there, we played an advanced hide-and-go-seek game. And I say advanced because we were using paintball guns, so being found could be painful and messy, if you know what I mean. You know, get found, you're going to get shot. Well, in the process of hunting down a fellow player, I failed to do something very important. I failed to look up before moving on and splat. I got tagged by one of the guys nestled in a porch rafter. From that day on, looking up has been burned into my consciousness. Think about it. People just walk around, look up. I'm always looking up because I know we don't normally want to look up. And if we don't normally look up, that's where people can ambush us. Okay, So let's put all this together now. Because I know what contrails are, I can tell you when they aren't contrails. Because of my fascination with aircraft and the learned lesson of looking up, I have come to notice something very strange in our skies. This serious thing, though, is, is that I'm not the only... The serious thing is I'm not the only one noticing these things in the sky. And I'm talking about chemtrails. Chemtrails. And what are chemtrails? Well, I'm not 100% sure what they consist of, but I'm 100% positive that they come from aircraft engines while in high-altitude flight. A contrail is a water vapor that gets frozen and then dissipates very quickly. A chemtrail is a chemical vapor that does not dissipate. It turns into clouds. Now you think I'm a conspiracy nut, most likely. And that's fine. i got no problems with it. But let's go and think about what is the definition of conspiracy. And again, you know I'm a fanatic when it comes to definition. It's a noun. And here's the definition. A secret plan by a group to do something unlawful or harmful. Synonyms would be a plot, scheme, plan, ploy, trick, or ruse. Now, the government admits that they are spraying, but they won't say they won't say why, and they won't say what. So that word conspiracy kind of fits here. If you think about it, think about the definition. Something's going on. They're admitting it, but they won't tell you what it is. So we're left in the dark. Let me tell you what I do quite often. I go outside and I look at the sky. One time in particular, too. It's a beautiful, beautiful, cool morning. And there's not a cloud in the sky. Not a cloud in the sky. It's a beautiful blue sky. Except for an aircraft flying over my house. Then another one. Then another one. Then another one. Then another one. Yes, that was five planes. Three flew in one direction, all parallel to each other. And the other two crisscrossed those three. This was about 8 o'clock in the morning, and by 3 p.m., those same chemtrails were still there, except for one big difference. They expanded and expanded and expanded until they covered the whole sky in cloud cover as far as I personally could see. And I've got a picture of this. 
you could actually see stuff floating down to the ground. So why am I telling you this? Well, there's a few reasons why I'm telling you this, actually. Number one, it interests me, and I want to share it with you. Two, it concerns me, and I want to share it with you. Three, too many people have their heads up their backside and in their phones that they don't pay attention and are not aware of their surroundings or impending dangers. Just recently, in the news, a man fell to his death while looking at his phone and walked off a cliff. So, I mean, if you've got your head in your phone that much and you're going to fall off a cliff and kill yourself and everybody's got one, I think it's a curse. Although I love the phone and I need the phone and I use the phone, sometimes you just got to look up. If more people became aware of chemtrails, more people would ask questions. The more people that ask questions, the more chance there is to get answers. We need to be pests to get answers. And this reminds me of a Bible story, Luke 18, chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, the parable of the persistent widow. You need to go check that out. Luke, chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. There are things going on in secret. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. Breathing stuff in from aircraft chemtrails to me seems a little toxic. That's one secret I would like out in the open just to know what the hell is going on. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's my topic of interest. I'm like, what are they? I've seen them forever. You actually see them in in films, too. You watch films and you see the chemtrails flying overhead. And I just know what they do. I look up. I see them. They start at 8 o'clock in the morning. By the time the day's over, the whole sky is covered. And we're not talking puffy cumulus or nimbus or stratus type of clouds. We're talking this fine layer of cloud that you can see wisps of the cloud particles there floating upward and downward. And you can see it kind of glistening. It's a, it just covers the whole sky with a very thin layer of cloud. My question is why? What's it for? What does it do? How does it affect us? So check it out. Study up on it. You're smarter than I am, I'm sure. And together we can all figure this out. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to move into our product demo. Blackjack firearms are good friends of mine. Not only that, they live right across the road. And not only that, they build guns. I mean, what kind of what more perfect combination can you get? I know them. I like them. They're friends. They live across the street and they build guns. It's a good deal. Check them out at bjfirearms.biz. Blackjack Firearms at bjfirearms.biz. I was talking with John and Steve, and I'm saying, hey, guys, you know, was, we were debating about flash hiders and muzzle brakes. I go, this would be a great topic of conversation. So what we're going to do is I'm going to read to you some information that I got off the Internet explaining which, what each one is and how it can apply. And the reason I'm telling you this is because when you're going to build one of your weapons, if it's going to be an AK or an AR, you're not really sure what you want to put at the end of it, a muzzle brake or a flash hider, well, I'm going to read to you the descriptions of each, and then you can figure out best what you want, because blackjack firearms can provide whatever it is that you want. Once again, they're like a restaurant. The gun is the meat and potatoes, and all the side dishes are, what do you want to put on it? What kind of furniture, flashlights, lasers, grips, quad rails, so on and so forth. Those are all the side dishes. So we're going to talk about flash suppressors and muzzle brakes. And I'm going to start off with flash suppressor. And I just got this off the Internet. It was 
pretty well written here, pretty to the point, so we'll just read it from here. This is from Wikipedia. Flash suppressor. A flash suppressor, also known as a flash guard, flash eliminator, flash hider, or flash cone, is a device attached to the muzzle of a rifle that reduces its visible signature while firing by cooling or dispersing the burning gases that exit the muzzle, a phenomenon typical of carbine-length weapons. Its primary intent is to reduce the chances that the shooter will be blinded in a low-light shooting condition. Contrary to popular belief, it is only a minor secondary benefit if a flash suppressor reduces the intensity of the flash visible to the enemy. So just to clarify, the flash suppressor is meant to keep your eyes good at nighttime, minimize the flash. It wasn't designed that when you shoot it and you have this flash, the enemy can't see it. If it reduces it, great, but that wasn't its intent. A flash suppressor is different from a muzzle brake, although they are typically mounted in the same position and sometimes confused with each other. While the former is intended to reduce visible flash, a muzzle brake is designed to reduce painful recoil inherent to large cartridges and typically has no effect on visible flash. Pre-20th century designs tended to have longer barrels than modern rifles. A beneficial side effect of a long barrel is that the propellant is completely burnt before the bullet leaves the barrel, usually resulting only in a puff of smoke from the muzzle. However, if the same weapon's barrel is cut down or shortened, as is common in cavalry or jungle combat adapted versions, the bullet would often leave the barrel before the powder was completely consumed, resulting in a, blight, a bright flash from the muzzle. When the barrel lengths were dramatically decreased with the introduction of various shorter barreled rifles and carbines, the flash became a serious problem during nighttime combat as the flash would imperil the shooter's night vision and would also make the shooter's position more apparent. Originally limited to special purpose roles, it is now expected that all infantry weapons with shorter barrels would experience this problem and thereby be of limited use in low-light low situations. Flash suppressors became common on late World War II and later assault rifle designs and are almost universal on these weapons today. Some designs, such as the, those found on the AKS-74U, serve a dual role as gas expansion chamber, helping to shorten weapons gas system and make it function properly. Military flash suppressors are designed to reduce the muzzle flash from the weapon to preserve the shooter's night vision, usually by diverting the incandescent gases to the sides away from the line of sight of the shooter and to secondarily reduce the flash visible to the enemy. Military forces engaging in night combat are still visible when firing, especially with night vision gear, and must move quickly after firing, uh, after firing to avoid receiving return fire. Flash suppressors reduce, or in some cases eliminate, the flash by rapidly cooling the gases as they leave the end of the barrel. Although, although the overall amount of burning propellant is unchanged, the density and temperature are greatly reduced, as is the brightness of the flash. Okay, so that's a flash hider. As time ticks here, now I'm going to click over here to the muzzle brakes and give you an idea what a muzzle brake is in comparison to a flash hider. This one I got from Guns and A Basics. It's by Joseph Von Benedict. Contrary to popular opinion, the way muzzle brakes works is less voodoo magic than it is rocket science. It's true, so you can leave the in incense in Auntie Mildred's cottage when you head to the range to mount 
and tune an AR-15 muzzle brake. All you need is a wrench and a basic understanding of how brakes works in order to get the best out of it. And here's how it works. Like the rocket drawings you saw in 7-Eleven comic book racks back in the day, muzzle brakes, also known as compensators, harness exploding gunpowder gases and ejecta, or particles, burning and otherwise, and redirect them in order to change the acceleration or movement of the rifle. Baffles inside the brake create an expansion chamber, and holes drilled into that expansion chamber bleed off gas at various angles to the axis of the barrel. These gases provide jet-like force immediately before, during, and after the projectile actually exits the barrel, resulting in effective muzzle redirection. A close look at the brake barrel interface and the brake's internal guts reveal that as a bullet exits the rifle portion and crown, that's the last port, the last point the projectile touches as it heads down range, it enters a slightly oversized tunnel through the brake. It must be oversized to allow the bullet free passage. If the bullet touches the inside of the brake with even the pressure of a whisker, it will be thrown off and become inaccurate. That's so true as that. Hot gases boil into the muzzle brake the instant the bullet base exits the barrel, expanding violently and traveling at several times the speed of the projectile itself. Blowing forward around the sides of the bullet and following it, the gases hit baffle after baffle and jet hole after jet hole, expanding into expansion chambers and being redirected out the sides of the brake. So... To reduce muzzle movement, typically termed muzzle jump, the holes must be drilled in the top and sides of the brake, but not the bottom. Taking it a step further, the holes must favor the side or the other to counteract the effect of rifling spin direction on muzzle jump. And believe it or not, rifling directs direction does have a rather significant effect on direction of the recoil. So using a crescent wrench, you can tune your brake's effectiveness by turning it a bit at a time until you find this sweet spot. And generally, most modern barrels use a right-handed rifling twist, so the top gas port should be slightly to the right or perfect top center. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, in a nutshell. Your flash hider is to save your night vision when you're shooting to minimize the flash. The muzzle brake is to help redirect the energy. So if the gun's going to jump up and to the right, you want to compensate for that with the muzzle brake so that it pushes it back down and to the left. So keep your gun on target and straight all the time. That's a quick um, touch on flash suppressor and muzzle brake. Go to bjfirearms.biz, Blackjack Firearms. Check them out. Talk to John or Steve. You're going to be building something. Or if you're interested in a flash hider or a muzzle brake, they've got all sorts, all kinds, all designs. You can't imagine how many different ones they have to fit the bill that you need. All right, so that's that. We're going to take another break. And when we come back, we're going to be introducing my special guest today, um, Judge Andy Isaacs. We're going to be going over preparations for the youth before they get out there in the world. So we'll be back in about a minute. We're doing a lot of stuff today on this show, a lot of information going out there. Today, I'm, I'm excited. I've got a very special guest here, Judge Andy Isaacs. He's been on the show before, but we were talking um, CHL at that time. Today, we're not going to be talking about CHL. But I've known my guest for many years now. And what I love about him is that he's the real deal. He's a vessel for the Lord to use, yet he knows that. He has flesh and blood, and he has the battles of every person who's got flesh and blood, and the the battle between the flesh and the spirit like all of us do. He does not pretend to be perfect or know all the answers. He's a man who is humble and willing to ready to serve the Lord and his community. One of the things he is most passionate about is changing the lives of youths he comes in contact with in a positive manner. 
So today I'm going to be talking with Andy Isaacs, co-founder of Morningstar Ranch Ministries, and we'll be asking him questions about what he does, why he does it, and who can benefit from it. So, without further delay, I want to introduce to you now Judge Andy Isaacs. Judge, how you doing? Thank you very much. Great. It's good to see you. I'm glad you could make it here today. We've it's got a pleasure about, to be here. We've got about 20 minutes we're going to be talking to you, and um, I wanted to, I, we wrote down a whole bunch of questions. We went to lunch. Had a nice conversation. We talk about what we wanted to go over, and um, there's. I, I've been to your ranch. My sons have gone to your ranch, your ministry, and they've had a fantastic time. Major benefits from them. So, what I want to do, Judge, first of all, let me open it up by this: Say, is there anything you want to open with right off the bat before we get into this, you know, question and answer type of session and debate? Is there anything you want to talk about? One of the things that people always ask is, what is Morningstar Ranch Ministries? We are a 501c3 ministry where we do youth. We do camps for underprivileged youth, not troubled, underprivileged. That means, and our forte is really the kids between the bad kids and the athletes, the ones that kind of fall through the cracks. Uh, and we just really try to equip them to have a better life. Okay, so with that, I want to say to the audience out there, People say, well, what does this have to do with a prep show? It has a lot to do with a prep show. Because what we're going to do is there's many different forms of being prepared. And one of them is getting our children ready for life. And those kids, like he was just talking about, fall through the cracks. We have places like what Andy has to offer here, Judge Isaac has to offer, and his ministry, and gets those people who are falling through the cracks and guide them and direct them. Would that be a correct statement, Judge? Yes. All right. Before we get into the details... If I ask you to explain what the goal is of Morningstar Ranch in three sentences or less, what would it be to the audience? I mean, if you somebody asks you, hey, what's the deal about it? What, what do you do? What's the whole concept? Why are you doing it in three sentences or less? Just the overall picture. We have a, a saying on our deal that help lead teens, keep teens from a life of destruction. Uh, most young people today don't know how to do things like work, how to speak to people. How to interact, and we really work on God's plan and purpose for them through that. I have that happen to me all the time. I cannot acknowledge what you just said enough. I have so many people who don't know how to pick up a phone and talk on the phone, interface with people. They're always they got their face in their phone, not face to face. All right, Judge, how long has the Morning Star uh, Ministries been in existence? Actual existence about twenty years. Uh, my wife and I. Uh, Got our five hundred one c three, and we're led by the Lord to do this. It's, it's, it's a constant work. It's not something that we've completed. It's something that we're continuing to work on. Things change. We do things differently now than we did twenty years ago. I'm going to be asking you questions that may overlap on other questions, but that we'll expand upon those once they overlap. But uh, who is actually the brainchild for Morningstar Ranch? I know when we were talking about it, you kind of gave me this answer. I'm thinking about who who comes up with it. You gave a pretty interesting story about that. Uh, the how we came to this place was God worked on Rita Kay in one direction. He worked on me in another. Um, I was a city boy, lived in uh, the roughest part of Dallas around Fair Park, and but had been raised by my grandparents, a lot of it. And uh, I always wanted to live in the country and have horses and cattle. And I've always been good with teenage kids. And Rita Kay always wanted to have a kids camp. And through a long series of circumstances that uh, we don't have enough radio time in a week to tell, 
it uh, we came to Milano, Texas at Morningstar Ranch. It, Where, where'd you Where'd you come from originally? Where was it? We were living in Duncanville. Rita Kay and I both were living in Duncanville, going to church at uh, Evangelical Methodist Church there in Duncanville. So the concept idea came there, but your right. actual application of the program was in Milano. We we got we got our inspiration from some friends of ours that have a camp in uh, West Cliff, Colorado, called Operation Uplift, and then God led us. From there, we God led us to be in Texas and, and what we did. I'll tell you, everybody, if you saw their facility there, it's very nice. You sit back there in the woods, way away from everything. It's very tranquil, peaceful. You can really get to know yourself and the good Lord going down there. Um, how did you come across the property? Because I was, I was looking at that and saying, one, how did you find that place? Was this, was this a... Uh, divine intervention, or were you physically seeking property out? How'd that work? No, it it, it had to be divine intervention. Uh, and to really make a long story short, we looked at we were looking at property in the Federal Land Bank magazine. Federal Land Bank has a magazine that comes out, or did have, I don't know if they still do, uh, once a month that has all their foreclosures on it. And we had two kids that were going to go to good college, and we thought they were going to go to A and M. And my wife wanting to stay in their business. <laughs> decided we ought to look it around there so we started looking around the bryan college station area and there were two pieces of property in milam county we went and looked at them but they weren't going to fit what we needed and but we really fell in love with the area so rita k through some circumstances that are kind of wild we ended up finding pud owens realty in rockdale and he took us out there and showed it. Okay, the, Pud Owens, you can pay for uh, advertiser. <laughs> <laughs> and okay. Pud was Pud was really instrumental in finding the place. But then he handled the paperwork. But we originally saw this place and fell in love with it. But knew at the time we said there's no way we could afford this. It just so happened the property was landlocked, in that there were no easements to it, and the federal land bank had changed its. Uh, way it loans property if there's no easements or no way to it they wouldn't loan it they used to would loan on anything but then they got had to get a little more refined and uh, we were able to purchase easement one acre easement into that property and that made us be able to buy the buy the land much cheaper uh, we were living on some property in lampasas outside of lampasas running a ranch for some other people when this all came about all right judge you got this land it's a beautiful piece of land. I've been there many times. We started off with a hog trap and a pole barn. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> he's not kidding. I mean, if you look at the facility now, it's incredible. And, and the, the way the Lord works and blesses him with many donations and, and things that have improved the facility. It's great. But, Judge, with all that, that, now that you've got all this set up here, what's the age group of the kids that go to your ministry? Going into the seventh grade, I mean, sixth graders and up, usually 12 to 15 is our target area. Uh, it, the ones that a lot of people don't like to work with because it can be a little hard-headed. But for us, they're pliable and they're eager. We do things like teach them how to work and short work projects. Well, I was going to ask you, what's your method and philosophy of teaching these kids when they come to the Morningstar Ranch, there, the ministries? Uh, you talk about work, love, entertainment, right? Tell us about those. It's 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 a... It's a multitask type situation. My wife takes care of most of the inside teaching in the Bible study, and she makes the Bible study real to them, so it applies to them. 
They understand it. And most of these kids have no biblical training at all. And when I say no biblical training, they don't know the basic stories like David and Goliath, Noah and the Ark, anything, anything. And uh, uh, when we first started 10 years ago with the kids, about 10% knew those stories. When, when you have an individual like that who is totally clueless on those stories, and then they come to this ranch and they don't know you, and then you start giving these stories out of this book, what's the reaction? What's the reception of it? You would be shocked at how well they receive it. You know, they're, they're so eager to know that we show them a lot of love, and we show them a lot of patience, and, and the, we have good cooks that cook them good food. Uh, they eat six times a day. We, we didn't really realize that, that until one of our kids writing a thank you letter to his sponsor uh, said, you know, they feed us six times a day and eat every one of them. It's, we feed them breakfast, snack between breakfast and lunch, lunch, snack between lunch and and supper, supper, and then we have a late so night. So the old adage goes, the way of a person's heart is through their stomach. That's right. <laughs> and, and and then we show them a lot of concern and care. We get to know them personally. We limit our group size to 25 or less because of that. We don't take more than 25 or less at a time. We're, we're really one-on-one interaction with them. We use horseback riding, obviously, as a hook. We actually teach them how to ride. We teach them how to handle a horse. And what that does is teach them that in life you're going to have obstacles and you're going to have to learn to overcome them. We get them on Wednesday. On Saturday, they are competing in a horse obstacle uh, competition. I've seen that many times. It's it's impressive. It really is. For kids that don't know anything, we've had uh, AQHA judges and stuff that have come in and actually judges for us. And uh, they are shocked. And what the kids are able to do. Well, I know my son. Yeah. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you're watching the show, you know my son, my acting crackhead, when he, he's the one used for my seminars, breaking into the house. He was in here, and there's a video of him. Go to the KTEM YouTube channel, you'll see it there. But he was kind of apprehensive on horses, and, you know, great kid, but he's a little leery of it. And then Andy here just takes care of what, what happened to him. You know, he he's he's he really overcame a lot more. Uh, Dylan was really afraid, and part of it was he got pitched. He got thrown off. That happens sometimes. He got thrown off, and he had to get back up. And but he he kept coming, and he overcame it. You know, Dylan did just come one time. Our kids most time come three or four times. Now, we were talking about that too. If so, if a kid comes to the program there, they can come back. How many times after that? We promise them three times that we find scholarship money for them. We go out and find people that want these, that understand what we do, that understand how we do it, and why we do it, and they they give us two hundred dollars per kid to for them to go to camp, and we promise them three times they can come back for free. So let me get this straight here: you're providing a ministry that conveys work, love, entertainment, the whole gamut here. Of course, obviously, to become closer to the Lord and to become better people as they grow up. But you're paying for them to come to the program. Explain that again. How's that? Yeah, work? that that's that's right. We we the the kids we target are obviously when we say underprivileged with no money. And 90% of the kids, uh, we have to go out and find scholarship money for them. So the people who are giving you scholarships are people who know you, understand what you're doing, and they say, hey, I agree, I'm under the same uh, mindset as you are. I want these kids to have a uh, a chance at it. So we're going to donate. Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't do- donate to this show, you should donate to Lone, uh, Morningstar Ministries there. And uh, they're doing a great work out there. Tell me about the work part of it. Here you got it. Kids coming in, are they thinking it's slave labor? Tell me about that. No, our, our, we go to them and we'll say, okay, we're going to do this project. And it's all ranch work, dragon brush, uh, 
cutting up stuff, cleaning stuff, and we tell them, you know, that this is what we're going to do, and it's an outcome-based. They get to see the project. It's one of the deals where look what we have done, look what we have accomplished. And we explain to them that they're doing work that if we were doing it by ourselves, it would take us months to do. But because we have a 20 kids at a time, we can get this work done pretty well. And they, some of them are apprehensive at first. After they get the hang of it, man, we've had days where we couldn't work because of weather. And they're like, can't we find some work to do? <laughs> and what do you think it is? They're just so hungry for accomplishment? Accomplishment, attention, direction, understanding. We tell them that, hey, you're going to have to work if you're going to get ahead in this life. You hear that, everybody? There's a <laughs> whole bunch of people out there. All they need is guidance, direction, uh, attention, compassion. Each and every one of you out there, including myself, everybody has it in them to do something for somebody else, and it can make a, a world of difference. Um, the entertainment in the horseback riding, What is you were talking to me about ranch rangers. What's that all about? As the kids progress through our camp, we have one camp that's called ranch rangers. And what they do is they have to actually pay for part of their camp. Uh, we It's much more intensive. Uh, like when we do work projects with ranch rangers, the adults only supervise. They just make sure they're safe. We have... Let's uh, let's let's back up for a second. So in other words, these kids come to the the ranch, the basic way we just discussed. Mm-hmm. But at a certain point when they're there, they come back, or at that point when they're there, no, they, they come, come back. back. They come okay. back. Right, this this is a much more in leadership development camp where the kids are basically in charge of a lot of it. We put them in charge. We we'll put you like your son will come and he today he's a leader and he has five other kids. We give them a job and then he has to. He has to get the kids together and do the job, and all we do is supervise that. Uh, the The Bible study is much more intensive, much more relative. They have to be they have to be more involved. They have to give answers. They're not, and there's no wrong answer. Rita K does a great job of teaching them. Uh, they they enjoy being there. The uh, uh, singing and worship we do in the evenings, they're much more involved with. It's a leadership intensive training because we're only there just a few days. Uh, Leadership, but uh, once the kids attain that, they also come back several times during the year and help with projects. These kids become part of our fa- part of our family. Uh, I mean, you're getting a, you're getting quite a reputation out there. There's many uh, Boy Scouts going through their Eagle Scout that come down there and, and see what you're doing, and they want to do major projects like uh, fixing buildings, painting buildings, and all. That. I'll tell you what. Speaking of that, let's talk about this: the housing available. Uh, because I remember it started with almost nothing, and now you have buildings all over the place, and the food. Who cooks the food? What kind of food? You said I know you said it's six times a day, but talk to me about the housing and where they stay and how it came to be. We sleep forty-five in uh, three different cabins, and uh, actually we have five different houses now that we that we use utilize within the ministry. Uh, food is we have volunteers come in to cook, and it's good home-cooked meals not your typical camp food you're not normally going to have we might i can vouch for this i've had some of their food and sometimes i want to go back just because <laughs> you know it's like we have dessert you know that's uh that it's outstandingly the the meals that we go through or well i can't uh, for me because i've kind of i get 
spoilt to it because I'm there all the time and, and but we don't cook like that all the time. I can't get ready to cook at all unless we got a group. So but it's it's things that you're not gonna that you would used to see at home all the time. We have we have the best chicken spaghetti recipe in the world. In fact we have fundraisers where we do trail rides that we took chicken spaghetti spaghetti off the trail ride list and they had a riot. So it's just now, things like that. Now, you're talking about your volunteers, the adult mm-hmm. volunteers. How has yeah. that become a ministry in itself? Uh, being an adult, so we have no paid staff. Morningstar Ranch Ministries has no paid staff. We have two kids a year occasionally, not every year, because it's got to have the right kid that we pay to be at the summer camps, and we work them hard, very hard. They're up before everybody else, and they go to sleep after everybody else. They have to work really hard, and we pay those two kids that have graduated up to that point. There's no other paid staff. Uh, being a member, when you see these kids come in, and they're scared to death to begin with because they don't know who we are and what we do, and then leave begging to stay. I've seen that. Begging to stay. Not, And it's not because they have bad houses. Most of them come from homes that are one or both parents are gone for whatever reason. And, but they still, there's still some good things. Andy, I'm one of those guys. I've, I've been to your place, and I know what it's all about. But I'm one of those guys who stands back in the shadows because I don't want to interfere. I don't want to be an influence. I want to see how it works, and I see how it works. They are, they are so overwhelmed by their unbelieved thought that they could do something and accomplish it, that they're loved, trusted, taken care of, and that they have this. Uh, motivation, inspiration to go out there and just attack the world now. You know what I mean? So I see it. Ladies and gentlemen, he does a great ministry. And how much does it cost for a three-day? $200. $200. And if you don't have it, you, you find people that have it. And you said how the kids can come back three, three times. times free. We, we, we provide them scholarships three different times. And the last time, if they qualify for it and want to put the last one, the Ranch Rangers, we pay part of it, and they are responsible to find or to earn or to go out and work. For a hundred dollars of their own scholarship money for that. Wow, that's fantastic. How about a website? Do you have a website that people can go to? Yes, it's MSR Ministries plural with S dot org. And if you look up on if you Google it, just put Morningstar Ranch in Milano, Texas, and it'll come up on it. Morningstar Ranch MSR Ministries dot org. Ladies and gentlemen, I can't encourage you enough to go check it out. If you feel led to uh um donate or whatever or help volunteer, uh, I'm sure you can contact him via the website there. And uh, talk to Andy or Rita Kay, his uh, lovely wife, and that's msrministries.org. Check it out. Uh, Judge, any last final words before we close up and take a break for about a minute? I'm going to say one thing. We've had one of the things that touched me the most the last year. We had a kid that had been coming to our camp for a while. We asked him to get up and give a testimony blindly. And he said, before I came here, I used to cry myself to sleep every night because I was afraid of dying. And now, because of what Morning Star Ranch has shown me and what Andy and Miss Rita K have shown us, is that I'm not afraid of dying. I'm afraid that I won't get to tell enough people about Jesus Christ before I die. Oh, that's incredible. That's incredible. All right, ladies and ju- Judge, I appreciate you coming in here. It's good talking to you. Paul, we're going to take a one-minute break real quick. And we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to finish up the show with a WTF moment. And uh, I know we go from a high level to a low level here, but at least we'll go out with a laugh or two. Okay, so we'll be back on the other side. See you in a minute. What you do in training, you will do in real life. If you fail to train, 
you have trained to fail. Aaron's Gun Shop and 25-Yard Indoor Range is proud to present High Cap Adventures Concealed Carry Academy. Realistic training to prepare you for real-life events, advanced shooting techniques, drawing from concealment, clearing malfunctions. If you plan to carry a concealed handgun for self-defense, you must be proficient in these skills, period. Also learn how to read body language and be aware of your surroundings. Understand speed versus accuracy. Call Aaron's Gun Shop now to enroll in one of their classes or to get more information. Call 254-697-4721 or toll-free 888-2B-FREE. Or check them out on the web at aaronsgunshop.com. Remember, in a life-or-death situation, failure is not an option. Train for success. Call Aaron's Gun Shop now. 254-697-4721 or 888-2B-FREE. That's 888-2B-FREE. Welcome back, everybody, to the Aaron's High Cap Adventure Radio Program. We're on our final segment here. We're on the what the, the WTF section. I saw this, and I had capital WTF. And uh, I'll tell you what, before I go into that, though, once again, if you want to make contact with me about conceal or license to carry classes or seminars or ask questions, go to aaronsgunshop.com or email me at aaronsgunshop at gmail.com. We have a seminar on the 13th of February. I have four slots left. They will not last long. It's the uh, co-ed home defense uh, home invasion seminar. Check it out on a high cap adventure page at aaronsgunshop.com. Okay. Now, on the WTF section here, I saw this and I'm like, what the... Arizona readies bill to outlaw citizens recording cops on private property. Yeah, I'm going to read it again. Arizona readies a bill to outlaw citizens recording cops on private property. Citizens will have to ask permission to record police. The Arizona Senate is poised to pass a bill that will allow citizens from taking videos of police even on their own private property. Quote, it is unlawful for a, the judge is looking at me kind of funny. <laughs> it is unlawful for a person to knowingly make a video recording of a law enforcement activity. Close quote. Senate Bill 1054 reads, quote, if the person making the video recording does not have the permission of a law enforcement officer and is it within 20 feet of where the law enforcement activity is occurring, close quote. I want to make a comment on that real quick. The 20 foot part. I get it to a certain extent because obviously that I was measuring that out. That's enough room for an officer to do what he's doing to whoever it is he's cuffing or whatever that and you're out of his way. But not being able to record, I continue. The bill also states that an individual may not record police on their private property or if their home or in their homes unless they are twenty feet away from the police or from an adjacent room. Now here check this out. If a police officer determines the individual is an interfering in the law enforcement activity or that it is not safe to be in the area, the officer may order the person to stop recording or to leave the area. Now, ladies and gentlemen, how convenient. Okay, I'll buy the 20-foot radius because, yeah, I know me. If I'm a cop and I got stuff going on, just stand back. Let me do what I got to do. But if I want to say, hey, I'm going to knock this guy in the head or I'm going to do this and I'm going to go outside the bounds of that badge, hey, this, this area is not safe. You need to leave the area. That enables that officer to do whatever the heck he wants without anybody recording it. That is bogus. What about and, security cameras? 
I, I don't know, Judge. I can't tell you, but this is ridiculous. I'm going to video a cop if he's doing something wrong. I'm going to video a cop if he's doing something great. It doesn't matter to me. For you to tell me, especially on my private property, I can't record, screw you. Okay? I'm sorry. That's the way it works. And everybody needs to say, screw you. And that's why things get getting out of hand here when you can't visualize a check. It protects the officer. It protects you. It protects everybody if it's on camera. I got problems with cameras in one respect, but I don't have a problem with cameras in another respect. There's that fine line of balance. But this here, Arizona on a ready's bill to outlaw citizens recording cops on private co- property what the heck is going on police routinely opposes citizens recording their activity and the proposed legislation will provide them with legal loophole to shut down all video recording as interference in the law enforcement activity the arizona law is in response to numerous videos that have shown police abuse in a few instances, individual police officers have faced pers- prosecution for violating the rights of citizens as a result of video recordings, and no wonder they want to cancel it. The government has a keen interest in preventing this sort of evidence and maintaining the exclusive monopoly on violence without challenge from citizens. So there you have it. There's the WTF section. i got about 30 seconds left. With that 30 seconds, I want to say to you this. Support this radio show, ladies and gentlemen. If you like what we're doing and you've got the means to which to support it, I ask that you do so monetarily. Facebook, like us, come to our events, give donations, buy the products, go to the products page on aaronsgunshop.com. Do whatever you can to keep us in business here. We're enjoying what we're doing and we're hoping we're making an effect. If you think so, do whatever you can to support this show. Until next week, keep your powder dry. God bless and we'll see you on the other side.